0: God, come to my assistance, Lord, make haste to help me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, you instructed the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things, and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. A reading from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or shape, with darkness over the abyss and a mighty wind sweeping over the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. God then separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Evening came, and morning followed the first day. Then God said, Let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate one body of water from the other. God made the dome, and it separated the water below the dome from the water above the dome. And so it happened. God called the dome sky. Evening came, and morning followed, the second day. Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into a single basin, so that the dry land may appear. And so it happened. The water under the sky was gathered into its basin, and the dry land appeared. God called the dry land earth, and the basin of water he called sea. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth vegetation, every kind of plant that bears seed, and every kind of fruit tree on earth that bears fruit with its seed in it and so it happened the earth brought forth vegetation every kind of plant that bears seed and every kind of fruit tree that bears fruit with its seed in it god saw that it was good evening came and morning followed the third day then god said let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate day from night Let them mark the seasons, the days, and the years, and serve as lights in the dome of the sky to illuminate the earth. And so it happened. God made two great lights, the greater one to govern the day, and the lesser one to govern the night, and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to illuminate the earth, to govern day and night and to separate the light from the darkness god saw that it was good evening came and morning followed the fourth day then god said let the water teem with an abundance of living creatures on the earth let birds beneath fly beneath the dome of the sky god created the great sea monsters and all ki- kinds of crawling living creatures with which the water teems and all kinds of winged birds. God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fertile and multiply, and fill the water of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and morning followed the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth every kind of living creature, tame animals, crawling things, and every kind of wild animal. And so it happened. God made every kind of wild animal, every kind of tame animal, and every kind of thing that crawls on the ground. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame animals, all of the wild animals, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth. God also said, See, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on all the earth, and every tree that has seed-bearing fruit on it to be your food, and to all the wild animals, all the birds of the air, and all the living creatures that crawl on the earth. I give all the green plants for food. And so it happened. God looked at everything he had made, found it very good. Evening came and morning followed, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all their array were completed. On the seventh day God completed the work he had been doing, he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had undertaken. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work he had done in creation. The Word of the Lord Lord, let me not be puffed up with worldly wisdom which passes away. Grant me that love which never abates, that I may not choose to know anything but Jesus and him crucified. I pray that you, my loving Jesus, that you who have graciously given to me to drink in with delight, the words of your knowledge, you would so mercifully grant me to one day attain to you the very fountain of all wisdom and to appear forever before your face to the glory of your name. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, I'm starting with this particular scripture, this particular portion from Genesis, the beginning of all things, as the beginning of this new attempt at going through the Bible with a study every night to present something from the Word of God to you. This study hour or period of time or however long this is will only be superseded when there is a vigil service, or when I don't have time. I'll be honest because I don't know how long I can get this going, but if you pray for me, we will get there. One of the reasons why I have the light a prayer candle option on the on the uh, com website is so that this type of teaching can go forth on a regular basis. Plus, me being able to focus on getting up all the daily office with the lectionary portion, like I have throughout most of the last week. Yesterday, I didn't because I had to work a little bit, and that took away from the time that I would have needed for the Sunday uh, day offices and the evening and night. And I just basically got home, watched baseball till it ended and vegged out for a little bit because I needed to do that but that's something that leads me to this today this new beginning where I look at the creation of the world the account in Genesis 1 through Genesis 2 verse 3 and I just re-look at it with new eyes and hopefully you'll look at that with new eyes with me I've read this portion of scripture with the intention of getting you the understanding that this is not a scientific explanation about how things came to be. It was never intended that way. There are many early church fathers and even Jewish scholars that have looked at this portion and seen it in the sense that it is a religious myth But it's not a myth or a fairy tale or a fable in the sense that it is fictional. Because what it is, is a story way of being able to tell you a truth so that you can remember it. If we were looking at the Hebrew form of this particular memorization, we would see it in various stages. We could break it down between the first three days and the next three days with the seventh day as the capstone on the entire work with a little preamble in verses 1 and 2, kind of explaining the whole how the universe came about. It does give an orderly beginning because we hear in the very first verse that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning so in the very first verse we get the creation of heaven that which is not seen the earth all material matter and time in the beginning and this begins the narrative that will later lead to us understanding why we are here today It shows that God also existed prior to anything else. And it establishes this basic premise that there was nothing that existed before God. So God didn't come out of something else. He was already there. And just on that one thought, We could go into a whole understanding of the five ways of of St. Aquinas in his Summa Theologica, where he talks about how every process has to have a first mover. Everything has to have a beginning, and there has to be something that is the uncreated first cause of everything, a standard that we consider to be the most beautiful in order to discuss other beauties. And we know that this standard of beauty is around because some of us will look at something and say, oh, that's ugly, and others will look at other things and say, oh, that's beautiful. Like a sunrise can be beautiful. A devastation after a storm can be terrible and disgusting. Different things give different things. And we could use that as a basis of being able to say that the ultimate beauty, the ultimate good, is God, and the ultimate disgust is something that does not have God. Because how can anything be beautiful if it doesn't have the ultimate beauty at all? And that's something that comes into play. One of the things that is unique to this discussion When you look at the creation account Is that all we get in the very first moments of creation Is the existence of God Who creates time, space, the heavens And matter, the earth And with those The rest of the universe comes about Science can attest to this much truth found in these scriptures. It may disagree as to how the universe moved from that very small beginning to what we experience today, but it is there. We are told that the earth, or physical matter as it can be understood at this early stage, was without form or shape. And that there was darkness everywhere, with a mighty wind sweeping over the waters. And many people think the mighty Spirit is the Spirit of God. But that depends upon how you translate certain things from the Hebrew or the Greek. I'm not going to get into an argument about it, but just know that the mighty wind sweeping over the waters... Can be a mighty wind from God, a breath of God on creation, or it can just be the Spirit of God hovering over these waters, ready to create. We know these in the first few verses. Do we understand how they fit scientifically? No. Many people have tried and they've failed. We later get to the next portion that tells us about how God speaks light into existence, and he merely says, let there be light, and there was light. We aren't told the cause of the light. We aren't told how the light came to be. We're just told that there now is this light going forth in the darkness, and God separates the light from the darkness, but we don't know How God separated the light from the darkness How there was a period of light that could be called day And a period of darkness that could be called night And with this division We get the evening came and the morning followed the first day Or as the Hebrew would say, day one What are we being told here? Well, the evening came as representing a period in which the things talked about in this first period of time was not in existence. The morning followed could be because of light when it did. And therefore, we get the very first poetic stanza in the Hebrew that shows us that this is not a scientific textbook, but a poetic way of explaining Creation, Giving us an orderly step-by-step How things came into existence But did not fully get into the science of it And it's in that sense that it falls into the mythological formula Of what was understood of the world at that time It is about as close to science as ancient man can get And it does bear out something that science will tell you is real, that there was at some point a big bang, and then from that big bang, there was light and there was darkness. You only need to look up into the sky to see stars in a dark sky at night and realize What the light in the darkness is talking about It's talking about galaxies being formed It's talking about light being the first element And things moving at the speed of light As the demarcation of time And that's why scientists today Estimating from the speed of light And what they can tell from what's in the universe That it has to be at least about 14 and a half, almost 16 and a half billion light years old. (coughs) These are astronomical numbers that we can't even grasp. But this first period, this Big Bang period when everything got started, is considered the first day or the first era of creation. As we'll find out, the Hebrew word yom can mean many things. It could mean a period of light versus a period of darkness, like daytime versus nighttime. And in that sense, it could be sunup to sundown is day, and then from sundown to sun up is night, and therefore darkness. Not necessarily a 24-hour period of time, as many fundamentalists ignorantly try to read into this passage. And it's something that is foreign to even Jesus' day understanding about this particular portion of Scripture. You would be hard-pressed to find anyone before the mid-1700s and the 1800s to believe that the days were actually 24-hour periods of time. Even as recent as when the Westminster Confession of Faith was put in, together by a bunch of Protestants in Westminster, England, to determine what would be their understanding of Calvin's theology, when they stated that the earth was created in six days and on the seventh day God rested, as this account tells us, they even argued about whether or not it was a 24-hour period of time or if this could be any amount of time, because it's unknown. St. Augustine, in one of his writings, pointed out that day four is when you get the creation of the two great luminaries, the sun during the day and the moon during the night, and it's only then that you're able to mark out a 24-hour period of time, because before then there was no 24-hour period of time that could be known. So what are we talking about here? Well, we're just talking about the first stage or the first era, the first age of creation, where the day, the first day, the day of light, can be considered like an old man telling a youth, back in my day, things were a lot different. Not meaning a 24-hour period of time, but maybe talking about a decade in which he was young like the child that he's talking to. Or the day of the horse and buggy, basically speaking about a time in history when instead of us driving cars, people rode on horseback or in carriages. All the way back to the time of charioteers in ancient times. But this is just looking at the word and understanding it doesn't have the fixed meaning that a lot of fundamentalists try to force into the passage. And we need to be open to this. But we should note that there is a separation of light and darkness here. So this is getting us to the very first stages of the creation of even our universe and solar system. And this is what comes out in the second day, when God separates with a dome one body of water from the other, basically separating the water above the dome from the water below the dome. Now, many people think that this water that's being referred to is liquid water in the sense of what we have in the oceans. But I would say it's probably the bare essence, if you will, of what makes up any planet. The gases, the hydrogen, the helium, just like you would see in Jupiter or Saturn. How you would understand the sun, the moon, and the stars also being physical and having some type of gas or other liquids available to it. Maybe not even liquids, maybe they've been dried up like the waters on Mercury. But that's kind of what's being talked about here, is this substance of the universe, this physical matter known as earth in verse 2, that is also described as being an abyss, that darkness was over. The mighty wind that swept over these waters, these materials for the rest of the cosmos that is not planet Earth. And this dome shows that the Earth itself is formed uniquely at this time. And that's what this distinction is made in the second day is the distinction between the creation of the entire universe with all the cosmos in day one to the creation of a specific planet called earth on day two these aren't 24-hour periods of time these aren't times that are measured in any sense that you and i would measure them but this is the sense in which it is coming down giving you the science that could be understood by the writer of Genesis with their understanding of the world and the universe at their time, using the words that are common to them, as opposed to how we would expect it to be explained because we have more science knowledge than somebody had even 600 years ago. Or even a hundred years ago. So we need to keep this in mind. When we get to day three, two events happen kind of back-to-back. The first part of day three there is this distinction between solid land mass like continents and that of the waters, the oceans the seas the rivers and how they distinguish themselves on planet earth and then as a result of landmass being around we get vegetation anyone that studies basic science knows that once the earth got form once there was a specific nature that could be considered the earth as a spherical orb floating in outer space, it eventually got to land masses, and then we get vegetation, the very first signs of life, as is seen in the second portion of day three, where God says, let the earth bring forth vegetation. And this plant life begins to spawn on earth creating the event that will happen in day four, the oxygen oxygen going up, creating the ozone, oxygenization, there it is, I finally got the word out, of the planet Earth, so that we could have a clear sky, as opposed to the cloud-covered dome that's over planet Venus. To where we can have this perfect atmosphere for life to be formed. Where we can see the two great lights in the sky plus all the stars. So we can see that in day one the rest of the universe existed. Now we, if we're standing on planet Earth where you are today, and look up, we can finally see them because the plants have cleared up the sky so we can look up and see out into outer space. Did these lights exist before? Probably. Were they created on day four or day one? Probably. The scripture doesn't tell us. The hints are that it's in day one. So all the creation of everything outside of the earth is day one, where there's a cosmos, where there's a universe. And therefore you can't really use this account here, like many have ignorantly done, like Bishop Usher and other Protestants that want a fundamentalistic timeline and say, oh, the earth is only 6,000 or 7,000 years old. No, that's stupid. That's not what the text is saying. And if you understand the text, you understand that these days aren't 24-hour days. They could be any length of time, and therefore you're just getting stages, if you will, of different development. Day one talks about the creation of all matter in the universe through the explosion of a Big Bang and where we finally have a, uh, a universe structure with the sun. Day two, Earth develops in the particular solar system that we are in and begins to take shape. Day three, land forms, plant life comes up. And day four, we finally have an ozone layer, so the clouds clear up, and we start being able to see the universe from where we are today. Then we get into the day five events, where we have sea life and reptiles, birds, being formed. And this can be considered the dinosaur age, if you will, because this is the first known animal life. And if you think about the progress that you would learn in biology 101, This would make sense. If you laid down a biological progression from the creation of the universe to this point, you would see that it follows step by step. It's just being defined instead of in specific scientific terms of definite ages or years, being defined kind of loosely by the days marking periods of creation in the Genesis 1 account. And this is something to keep in mind as you go. And we know that this is talking in day six, day five about dinosaurs is because birds are from the reptilian family. The pterodactyls that you see in the old um, Jurassic Park movie They're the first birds. All bird life is, in a sense, the reptiles that existed beforehand. In fact, in the Greek form, the Greek Septuagint form of Genesis, the sea life is itself being called reptilian. And that's why they are swarming in the seas. You also have animal life in its sense being formed first in the seas, let the waters teem, and then on earth let the birds fly beneath the dome of the sky, showing two different areas in which reptilian life began. And this entire dinosaur age, if we will, is an age that is covered in day five of the Genesis account. It's not dealt directly, but it's showing you scientifically in a sense as far as the human mind could have understood in 3000 bce what creation was and that's something that's unique to the bible account when we get to day five we have two parts To day day six, I mean we have two parts Just like day three had two parts The first part is the creation of all animal life on earth This is the tame animals That which would be domesticated Like your dogs, your cats Your cattle That's why cattle is used in the King James Because it refers to domesticated animals Animals that you herd, shepherd, like sheep and goats, cattle, and other animals like it. It also talks about wild animals, those that are not tame, those that are basically hunted, like foxes, bears, lions, and tigers. Oh, my. Because it recognizes that there are some animals that we as human beings still have not tamed. Although, to a degree, we can still, and God saw all of this as good, and then he talks about creating humanity as the highlight of all creation. The unique thing that comes out of Genesis chapter one verse twenty six, well, actually verse um, yeah verse twenty six is that God says... Let us make human beings in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame animals, the wild animals, and all creatures that crawl on the earth. And people have asked the question for many a millennia. Who's the us? At first glance, you would probably think he's talking to the angels. But God makes it clear that he wants humanity in the image of God. So the us is the first actual hint at God being a trinity. He's not speaking to angels because he didn't create you in the image of an angel. God didn't look at St. Michael or Lucifer or any other angel and say, I'm talking to you. No. The us that's being referred to is an us that has rulership over every kind of animal and over the entire earth. And that's what comes out in the Greek. Because he says, let him have dominion over all the creatures that crawl on the earth. And that's something that demons don't have without your permission, is rulership over you. But that's a side note. Who is the us that we are made in the image of? The simple answer is just God. The expanded answer is this is the very first hint that God would be incarnate because he makes us human. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us because God was speaking into existence something that was not yet a reality because from time immortal, he had a plan to be our brother, to be Jesus the Christ. The Messiah and he was speaking that at this very onset even before the very first sin and that is mind-blowing if you let it and then we note in verse 27 God created mankind in his image in the image of God he created them plural all of us we're all and the image and likeness of God. That's the human dignity. Male and female, he created them. Only two genders. He created a he and he created a she. There's no thee, them, thou, whatever's. God only created man and woman. And that's right here in the book. God blessed them, all humanity, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We're supposed to be fertile. We're supposed to have offspring. We're supposed to reproduce. We're supposed to multiply. We're supposed to increase throughout the world. We're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it. We're supposed to fill it out. We're supposed to go everywhere and subdue it. God isn't worried about overpopulation. In fact, he wants the opposite. He wants us to overpopulate the earth, or at least try. And he's even said, subdue the earth. Make the earth conform to your will as individuals who care for it. And then he makes this declaration, have dominion over the fish, the birds, every living thing that crawls on the earth, have dominion, rule over it, domesticate it. Bring that into God's way of thinking, way of being. And that's what the Great Commission is, where we go into all the world and preach the gospel, because that is what Genesis was telling us to do in having dominion. Because Jesus pointed out, if you read it in the Greek, all authority has been given unto me, and therefore I send you. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's how you are fertile. That's how you multiply. That's how you fill the earth and subdue it. The kingdom of God is supposed to go and be everywhere. And that's what Genesis is trying to tell us here. God even specifies when he gets done giving this command to proselytize, in a sense, to fill the earth, to go into all the world. He tells us that all the plants are given for food, not just for us, but for all the animals. At the time of this particular portion of Scripture was put together, the understanding is that we were all to be vegetarian. We weren't supposed to be eating one another, which is a unique thought in and of itself. And that closes out the sixth day. And Then we get to the end of our readings for today uh, with Genesis chapter 2, and we look at God creating the heavens and the earth, knowing that everything in them was completed, everything that was necessary for what would be needed in this reality was already there. Because God was finished in this seventh period of time, this seventh day and God rested from doing any creative activity at that time. Why did he rest? Because he was done. He had completed. That's what the text tells you if you read it properly. Because when God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, he did it because he rested from all the work he had done in creation. He had stopped. He was completed for everything, all that was in heaven, all that's in earth, and everything contained in them was finished, and God didn't have to do anything more. And that's the extent of the science of creation. And in a sense, we are still in that seventh day today, And the reason why we know that is simply because of this. God never completed the seventh day. He never said evening was and morning followed the seventh day. We entered into the seventh era of creation. And it will not be completed until he comes again when we are told we will enter into a new heaven and a new earth in the eighth day that was begun by his resurrection.